When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner with Stephen McIver here till 8. Uh, brought to you by Enterprise, the recruitment company involving people's lives for over 50 years. And it's a busy old 60 minutes. I can tell you it's all going off in the Canterbury region this weekend. What are we thinking about right now? Well, the Crusaders felt the drewer in Super Rugby last weekend and they could be playing catch-up for the rest of the Super Rugby season. And I say could be. And part of this thinking goes like this. How much might that poor Super Rugby season, or a poor Super Rugby season, affect Scott Robinson's chance of the All Blacks job? <gasps> Shock, horror. Brian Ashby and Brendan Telfer will have the answers in the panel a little later on this morning. It is a monster weekend in Littleton, and why wouldn't it be? The inaugural ITM Sale GP here in New Zealand, and it is a sellout event. It was sold out pretty much once they announced it. Two days of racing, today and tomorrow. It's the inaugural event, as I said, and Australia, well, funnily enough, they lead the competition with this being the inaugural round. The winner-takes-all round is in San Francisco in a month's time. That's a million dollars up for grabs for the winning team. Well, Australia leading, but guess who's just in the 1-1 behind them? That is New Zealand. Blair and Tuke. And the top three at the end of this week will head off to San Francisco. So we're going to talk to the man that's leading, and he's also the two-time defending Sal GP champion, and that's Tom Slingsby of Australia. He'll talk to us about the course and what it's like sailing these amazing FT50 catamarans because it is crazy fleet racing and you'd be bonkers not to either watch it on the telly or if you've got tickets, go out there and enjoy the thrill. We're going to update another busy weekend of sporting events in the Canterbury region. But the real big news this past week, if you love your rugger, and I know you do in Canterbury, the big news is the signing of David Havili, with New Zealand Rugby and the Crusaders until the end of 2025. Now, David spoke to myself and Beaver Donald, that's right, on the run home a couple of days ago, 
and we put this question to him. What was the appeal of re-signing with New Zealand Rugby and the Crusaders? Six oh four on a Thursday evening. This is the run home with Beave and Steve. Not too far away from talking to David Harvey, who re-signed today along with Tyrell Lomax with New Zealand Rugby. But on the Macca's menu, he's probably our headline act, and he is our headline act. Uh, but don't forget also after six thirty, we'll talk to Tom Slingsby, two-time defending South GP champion. Yep, Australia have won both, but it's going to go down to the wire this season because at the weekend in Littleton, it's the penultimate event of season number three of South GP. The top three go through to San Francisco in a month's time for the winner takes all one million dollars. One million dollars. They probably don't talk like that in San Francisco. Anyway, that's the uh, Macca's menu. Uh, thanks to our good teams at uh, McDelivery. All righty, let's get busy, shall we? Big news today. David Havili isn't going anywhere for at least a couple of seasons, re-signed until 2025, and he joins us right now. David, uh, first things first, uh, congratulations on re-signing. I'm intrigued to know, what's the appeal of re-signing with uh, New Zealand Rugby? Thanks, guys. Yeah, cheers for having me on. Um, oh, I think it was just... Um, wanted to keep competing at the highest level and um, me and my partner are quite settled here in Christchurch at the moment and um, there's a lot of young talent coming through the Crusaders that I feel like helping them pave the way into the next generation is pretty key for me so um, yeah I'm happy where I am and um, I'm stoked to be able to re-sign for the next couple of years. How important is that settled aspect being settled off the park as well as being settled in the footy environment? Yeah, it's huge. I think um, being able to have you know family close and um, my partner's uh, family here as well might just down the road in Nelson, so be able to go home on on bye weeks and I guess catch up with with them is is, is great for me. And I think that aspect is huge, uh, being able to stay around and close to my family. Mate, congratulations on the, the resigning. How uh, obviously at the moment the the shoulder injury, how bad is it? Or is it just a couple of week thing? Yeah, cheers, Steve. Um, yeah, probably probably four weeks. I think it's a it's a pretty bad AC joint. Um, it's the nuts and bolts of it, but a few other things going on in there. But yeah, I'm just glad that um, it's nothing too serious and doesn't need any surgery. So uh, pretty happy with the way it's pulled up. And obviously, probably with the year that's ahead, it's probably a whole lot better for it to happen right now than, uh, as you say, later on in the piece. Yeah, for sure, definitely. That's what I'm sort of uh, worried about and just waiting for those scans to come back on Monday. But, um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was stoked when they come back and uh, didn't need any surgery, so I was, I was pretty happy with that. With, uh, obviously, this weekend, it's the, it's the big blockbuster as far as the Blues at Eden Park. And uh, although most teams, I guess, at one from three that the Crusaders are, there'd be no no real need to panic long year. And I guess you, you probably haven't been here too often, but... Uh, no real issues as far as get the game back on track. Obviously, shock loss last week to the draw, but uh, boys pretty happy with where we're at, apart from that. Yeah, I think we're definitely, I guess, happy with where we're at, but, but disappointed with the way we started. You know, it's um, not great to to be, you know, one and three, but that's the reality we are at the moment. And um, look, going up to the Blues is going to be a, another great challenge for the boys. Um, we've suffered a a few big injuries to, to to our team in the last sort of couple of months, so we've really had to dig deep in the um, in the stocks of players we've had. So um, the boys are going up there with great spirits and just going to go 
you know, express themselves in Eden Park. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued with when Beaver mentioned the one one and three, David, because there is so much expectation, so much expected of the Crusaders just to keep rolling on. As a unit, how do you deal with with challenges like a record that's not where you want it to be right now? I think we just, you know, we spoke about during the week that, you know, obviously our preparation during the week hasn't been right, so being able to get that right for a big game um, and making sure that we go deep, like it's it's been tough, you know, we haven't experienced sort of the, these couple of losses, but I think it's only going to make our group stronger and, um, you know, it's early on in the year, we just want to keep building off a great week that we had this week and, um, you know, march on into Eden Park. Obviously you're not going to tell us the entire game plan uh, before you come to Eden Park, but uh, saw a squad name today and obviously you've taken plenty of hits injury-wise, but... Geez, there'd be a lot of teams that would love this uh, tight five that you're still rolling out. I, I'd imagine that's where a bit of a focus is going on this week. Yeah, for sure, Beav. I think um, you know everyone knows that the Blues have a great full pack and a big full pack. So um, you know our tight five have got a, a big job this week in trying to stop them. And you know, I guess the chess game of the the lineouts over you know the weekend is going to be huge as well. Whoever can um, get the top top ball for their, their back line, but I think. Around that physicality and the the breakdown is going to be key. David, Beaver mentioned it's being a big year. It's World Cup year. How much does that sit, and where does it sit in your head during a Super Rugby season? Oh, well, look, you'd be lying if you were saying it's in the back of your mind. But I think for a lot of us players, it's about just being able to to perform um, week in week out, and for our, for our clubs and. Um, if we can do that, then the rest will take care of itself. But um, I think first things first is making sure that uh, you, you perform uh, every week at, at super level. And then if you get that opportunity to, to go into the World Cup, then so be it. But if not, then that's all right as well. So I think just week by week for us. Looking from the outside, looking in, I, I get the impression the Crusaders under Scott Robertson are a, quite an inclusive team. So in, in, a, in a game week like this, which is the match of... The round it could be the regular season match of the year. Do you get a chance for input? Yeah, definitely. I, um, you know, been able to, I guess, get a wee bit of experience in big games. So you know, helping someone like like Dallas is, um, you know, my role this week and making sure that he has everything he needs to go out and you know execute and perform um, at that level. So. And I'm confident in, in the playing group we got at the moment to, to go out and do, do a good job. But like I said, it's going to be a, a tough match that you know I, I can't wait to watch as well. So um, I'll be sitting on the couch doing the same thing. Mate, uh, again, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, bugger about the injury. I was actually in, uh, in the stands at Melbourne and I think your game was probably the only one that I actually took too much notice of because it was the first game of the weekend before the weekend got a hold of me. But uh, <laughs> I, f- I thought you boys, looked, uh, you boys looked pretty sharp and uh, loved your work over there, mate. So hopefully you get back soon. And again, thanks heaps for coming on, mate. Yeah, cheers, B. Thank you very much, lads. Slings it off to New, turns it back into Geordie Barrett. Here's Arnie Savia. Pops the pass. Yeah. Harvey scores. David Harvey. <laughs> has to pick it up. Gets it away to Pedernada. And David Harvey has scored. Ball is out. Ball is out. And away goes Blackadder. Five metres out. Now Dunshay pops a pass to Harvey. David Harvey gets the opening try of the season. Back they go. Havili with 
going on in Canterbury this weekend thanks to Trident Homes, designed for living and built for life. And around oh, 45, 50 minutes, it's another Pegasus Park run starting at Motuki at Pegasus. Now, big day today for Canterbury Secondary School Athletics. It's finals day. Only place to do that, Napunawai. It starts at 8 o'clock this morning, runs all the way through to 4.30. We might find out the next Jacka girl or the next Zoe Hobbs there. So go and support your local Canterbury Secondary School athletes. Also, the La Race is on today. What is La Race? Well, it's a 100-kilometre cycle race from Cathedral Square out to Akaroa. So if you're seeing lots of bikes early on today around, that's what's going on. La Race. Of course, we've got Sal GP. We, we can't forget that. That is the, the big event. So there's going to be a lot of traffic heading out into Littleton. So I think the key phrase here is patience, okay? Lots of patience. Nine o'clock this morning, it's the Canterbury Rookie Challenge. Now, that's being held at the Spencer Park Surf Lifesaving Club. This is a, a chance for young junior lifesavers to actually work to becoming surf lifeguards. So there's a lot going on out there. It might be just fun to watch them, or all those little grommets running around in the sand a, as well. Also, two o'clock today, love this one, Heroes versus Police Touch Rugby. That's from two o'clock at Westminster Park. Now, Sunday is a Big, a busy day to do. Of course, there'll be Plunkett Shield Cricket out at Rangiora at Main Power Oval between Canterbury and Central Districts. And I'm sure you, if you're a runner or a part-time jogger, the City to Surf is on your list. That happens tomorrow as well. Sunday at 2, the New Zealand Midget title is up for grabs. That's at Ellesmere Speedway in Leaston. Got to love me just a little bit of motorsport. Got to get that in, even on the Canterbury Sports Corner. So we got to love that as well. And also, big day in Geraldine, uh, the multi-challenge. What is the multi-challenge? Well, it's run, walk, and bike. And it's for families, not just for the for the heavyweights, right? It starts at Racecourse Road at Orari. Now, this is a, this is really interesting. So it's the trail run and walk is built into three different areas for the, you know, people like me, 5.8 Ks, or you can do 13.8 Ks or 21.8 Ks for the heavyweights. And then it's a mountain bike uh, event as well. So it's 18 Ks, 32 Ks, or 52 Ks. That's the Geraldine multi Challenge, And it's a family event. So make sure that you are a part of it. And that's what's going on in Canterbury. Thanks to our good friends at Trident Homes, who are the supporters of the Trident Home Tactics. Check out your modern home plans at tridenthomes.nz. I 
6.34 on the run home with Beeb and Stephen. It's a big weekend in Christchurch, Littleton, in fact, with the inaugural ITM Sail New Zealand Grand Prix, right? They see, so these are nine uh, FT50s. They're, they're really fast catamarans that go around the world. This is season number three, and they race like crazy. They call their, uh, their skippers uh, drivers. They talk in kilometres now, not knots, and they say it's one of the fastest-growing sports in the world. Who knows? Who knew? But it's pretty exciting. And it's been sold out for a long, long time. Although I was talking to someone who's down there, they say, uh, be patient because there's one road in and one road out. But there is a, a chance for you two to take your own boat on the water and be around the perimeter to get a close-up action. Basically, 200 metres offshore, you are watching these uh, boats Fly and they do fly. It's and it's not and it's dangerous. It's exciting and that's what they buy into. The two-time defending champions are Australia. Their driver, their skipper, their CEO is Tom Slingsby, and he joins us right now. And I'm just wondering, Tom, whether uh, you're feeling any pressure at all. <laughs> uh, a little bit of pressure, I guess. Um, our big rivals at the moment this season uh, are the New Zealanders, and we're heading to their home. Home country, home event. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of pressure on that for sure. Have you taken a look at the Littleton course yet? I had just arrived. I just uh, flew in from the US and um, I got here about five minutes ago and yeah, put my head out to – I heard the Kiwis are out training, so I just put my head out to see where they were, but I couldn't see them. Hey, talk to me about these FT-50s. For people that don't understand sailing, how hard are these cats to drive? Uh, they're very challenging. I mean, it's a bit different, I guess, to the America's Cup boats. Um, with GP, we could make things like flight control automated. We could make a lot of the systems on the boat automated and, and computer-assisted, but we purposely don't do that. We try to make boats very difficult to sail, and it really come down to the skill of the sailors. And, and that's what I enjoy about it. Um, I do enjoy the America's Cup sailing with the sort of high-tech, top-of-the-line design um, competition, but then I do love Sail GP coming back and racing and a real sailor's race. Are they brutal to, to, to pilot? Uh, they are pretty brutal in, in regards to you make one mistake and you might fall off the foils and lose a couple of hundred metres and uh, and lose five, five, six positions in a race. It, it's pretty brutal in that regard that Sometimes a very small minor mistake can cost you a lot of positions and in such a short little race, a 12-minute races we do, it's, uh, yeah, it can be, sometimes it can feel pretty brutal, I can tell you that when you're on the wrong side of it. Yeah, mate, is it genuinely sailing on the edge of your ability? Yeah, for sure when it gets windy, um, yeah, especially as a driver, I guess, where these boats will go into cavitation where at, at about 50 knots of boat speed, um, the foils start cavitating and getting air bubbles over them and you start losing lift and losing steerage when it happens on a rudder. And it can get a little little scary for sure. Um, people have sort of been seriously injured and people have, uh, have died um, sailing similar boats to this. So uh, as the, the skipper and the driver of the team and the CEO of the team, I've really got to make sure I get my team home in one one piece back to their family so you do feel a bit of the pressure and the burden of that and making sure everyone gets safe um gets home safe tom what do you think the secret sources to the australian success in the last two seasons uh, i think for sure it's got to have to do with we've sailed together for a long time we're um a really sort of tight unit over here in the australian team and 
a lot of experience sailing together. And I, I, my two cents is uh, I sort of look at the racing and it's just saving those sort of half a second in communication uh, where it's sometimes I don't have to say something perfectly, but my team know what I mean by by something when I say it and they can sort of predict what I'm going to, what my next call might be and just saving those split seconds around the track can sometimes really come in handy. So we've been, had a really good year this year. We've been really consistent and um, that's put us to the top of the leaderboard, but we've won three events. Uh, the Kiwis have won three events and uh, we're now heading into their home events. So um, yeah, they're going to be looking to get a win here for sure. Sydney was wild and, and pretty dangerous when you had that, that squall nay tornado come through. And it, it, it would appear that you're, you're not going to run these 29-metre wings. You've got 18-metre wings and 24-metre wings. Is that a big deal? Uh, I don't think it's a big deal, no. Um, the 29-metre wings can help us when it's sub five or six knots of wind. Um but we're hoping uh, the forecast is a little light this weekend, which hopefully won't be an issue. Hopefully we'll still be able to get out there and foiling around. Um, and then in, for the final event of the season, San Francisco, that won't be an issue. Um, yeah, that'll be a windy venue. So, no, I don't think it'll hurt the event at all. Um, we'll have all nine teams out there, which is amazing, and um, everyone in identical boats, again, competing. As a competitor, as a successful competitor, What's it like fleet racing in these boats? It's really the sort of top of our sport, personally. I mean, for sure there's the Olympics and there's the uh, America's Cup, but right now, Sal GP has the best sailors from all around the world, from every different type of discipline and class, who come and and want a shot at the Sal GP title, whether it's uh, Sir Ben Ainsley, the the greatest Olympic sailor of all time, or... uh, Pete and Blair, the New Zealanders, the America's champions, um, they see the the Sal Beach and the Sal GP crown as as an important one, to, an important one to try to get. So they they they've joined the league and they're yeah, I guess trying to take our crown away from us. And yeah, we've got to do our best to make sure that doesn't happen. How hungry are you on a completely different level to go and win the America's Cup in Barcelona next year? Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm excited and um, very hungry to try to win the cup again. Um, I won it in 2013 for America. Um, I've also got a, along with my Australian passport, I've got a US passport. And with Australia not competing in the America Cup, it's, a, it's the obvious choice for me to, to go back and, and race for the US. And representing the New York York Club and American Magic, um, I joined the team just under a year ago and I've been really enjoying it over there. And yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a great competition. We're in the process of designing our new race boat at the moment, and uh, we're watching all the footage from down here in New Zealand and what the Kiwis are doing, and and uh, trying to figure out how we can get an edge on them. Not a bad life, right? <laughs> it's a great life. I'm very very fortunate to do what I love. Tom, thanks for your time and the best of luck this weekend. But uh, not too good luck with those Kiwis uh, up your tail. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you very much. We'll uh, we'll do our best, but we won't be fan uh, favourites if we beat the Kiwis on home waters. But no, that's not my problem.
for the panel this morning, proudly sponsored by Mel Ray Electric, putting the spark into Canterbury Rugby. Boy, have we got a panel for you this morning. Two rock stars of the Canterbury region. Brian Ashby, good morning. Hi. And, well, I don't even need to introduce, I just say, Brendan Telfer, how are you? Well, I'm pleased you didn't call me an ageing rock star anyway, uh, Stephen, so <laughs> well, yeah, good morning. Well, ageing rock stars are okay because they're still making money, Telf. Uh, let's let's get on with it, shall we? Uh, thoughts, first of all, Brian, from you. The re-signing of David Havili and Scott Barrett with the Crusaders and NZR. Good moves? Oh, of, of course. You know, um, any time when players that are on the sort of other side of 25 commit to New Zealand rugby, particularly guys of that experience, it's, it's huge. And particularly for the Crusaders in so much as, you know, the World Cup year, we know there's going to be a mass exodus. There is going to be um, key leadership names missing, Moanga, uh, Whitelock, Coach Scott Robertson. So guys like Havili, Scott Barrett, um, huge plus. So you, you can't fault that. Telf? Uh, yeah, fairly predictable, uh, I guess. It does underline again, I suppose, the power or the pulling power of the all-back jersey, despite these enormous salaries that athletes or, or rugby players can now earn in various parts of the world, uh, it is reassuring to see that still most of these guys, you know, these type of all-blacks who aren't yet in the elite class as all-blacks and they're making their way through the all-black ranks, uh, and so they would be uh, ripe for the picking for a lot of clubs in France and Britain, although I suppose given the financial problems some of these clubs are having in, in mm. Europe, um, it's making the job, I guess, of the New Zealand Rugby Union a little easier to keep these players because they're not probably having quite as big a carrot dangled in front of them as uh, some of their predecessors might have had in recent years. We, we had David Havili on uh, earlier today on the programme. We spoke to him on the run home a- on Thursday, and he said the most important thing for him, which I thought was a really encouraging sign for the New Zealand Rugby Union, he likes being at home, Ash. Yeah, well, you know, when you live at the top of the south, it's not the worst place, is it? Um, and up, up in, in, in Tasman, uh, if you feel settled, if, if, if you are a homeboy, um, you know, we, the stories... Of, of players going overseas and, and, and not enjoying it, and particularly when you've been in a franchise, not just a franchise, also a province, Tasman, that has enjoyed a lot of success through your career. Um, again, players that have, from the past that have headed to clubs overseas, they've, they've advised younger players saying, hey, look, it'll never be the same, um, so, so don't expect it to be the same. And I think David's probably had a few players putting those words you know, in, in, into his brain, and uh, is he comfortable here? Yep. Why change it then? Particularly if you're on a you know a, a pretty good wicket, if you can play your career out here, um, why not? Let, let's stay in the Crusaders mode for just a moment, Brendan, because I want to talk about their, their loss to the Drua and their, their start to the season. 
is is this how much of a test is this for the Crusaders and the resilience that they've shown having won the last six Super titles? Well, privately, they're probably um, wishing they weren't playing the Blues at home tomorrow night. I mean, one loss uh, is not fatal, even in a competition as tight and as tough as this. Neither is two losses, but two out of three, uh, they just got to be a bit careful here. If they were to lose tomorrow night, that's uh, three losses out of four. I think they're in eighth place at the moment uh, in this 12-team competition. If they lose tomorrow night, um, alarm bells, I think, will, will sound because the reality then is that the Crusaders will be playing catch-up rugby. Uh, for the rest of the round-robin tournament to make sure they get into the playoffs. And that's not something they've ever had to concern themselves with. And playing catch-up rugby um, means you've got to take less risks, you've got to be more conservative, and the Crusaders, as we know, dine out on their confidence. They know they're the best team in the country and have been for years, and every time they go onto the field, they display the skills and talent that shows why they're the number one team in the world. But they, their rugby and their thinking will have to change. So this match tomorrow night, um, I don't want to use that silly cliche season defining, but um, <laughs> it will have it will have implications, um, some worrying implications for Scott Robertson if he loses, and also from Scott Robertson's point of view, um, supposedly being lined up as an ex-all-black uh, coach. You, you beat me. You, what do they say? You're, yeah. only, you're, only as good as, you're only as good as your last result. So three losses out of four might just cause one or two people around the boardroom table of NZRU to take another look at uh, Scott Robertson. Yeah, actually, that's a, you beat me to the punch on that one. Brian, do you think the same way? No, um yeah, look, you, you win six titles. If if you've got a, a just add water and stew mentality like that on the board of NZRU, then, then you're probably in the wrong gig. Um, I think, you know, the Crusaders they, they need a win um, without question, and what's more, they need to come through the through the game without any more um, significant injuries as well. So they do face some big challenges. I wouldn't be overly concerned about where they're at at the moment. Yep, things like. Um, home playoffs further down the line, not great. But the nature of the competition is they're going to make the playoffs anyway. You know, it, it's it's a ridiculous. The, the the playoffs are overinflated in terms of the way the competition is shaped. But um, where they find themselves at the moment with with the injuries, with dropping those points uh, in Laotoka last week, uh, was almost sort of unforgivable. So they, they've, they've they've got to get they've got to get some money in the bank tomorrow night. No no question. And that's that's going to be a hell of a lot easier said than done, clearly. OK, you two feeling a little bit left out. Uh, the uh, A-League have announced there's going to be another A-League team in Auckland. Uh, they looked at the facilities and they sized the market and said this is the place to be. But we know football is strong in the Canterbury region as well. Should they be looking at one based in, in the South Island, Telf? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm not even sure they should be looking at another one in Auckland. I, I'm not convinced at all that this was, this proposal will see the light of day. Uh, all the uh, A-League have said so far is that they've been uh, they're happy with what they've seen and uh, they'd be in, interested in entertaining a, a bit. But, I mean, you've got to come up, first of all, with $20 million. I mean, what do you get for your $20 million? Yeah. Entry into a club competition in Australia? Hello. I mean, it just amazes me that they uh, can charge twenty million bucks just to get a, just invite a team into it. Um, so uh, I'm not sure about player talent availability in this country. Uh, a few years ago, you had the two strongest football teams in New Zealand were 
in Auckland, Waitakere United and Auckland City. They dominated the New Zealand Football Championship. They usually finished up as the two New Zealand teams in the Oceania Club Championship, and often um, one of them would win that and go off to the World Club Championship and get a half a million bucks or three-quarters of a million dollars. But I don't think there's that amount of talent uh, around in domestic football at the moment. And so, uh, where, do you, okay, where are you going to get players from? Um, clubs that are a surface, uh, you know, surplus to requirements in Australia, and so they left yeah. over to come to New Zealand. So there's a lot of hurdles here. I wouldn't, I'm not getting too excited about this just yet, and I want to see the colour of someone's money. Uh, and no one's mentioned any likely uh, people who have got yeah. twenty million dollars to throw at this project. Yeah, I, I'm I'm completely with you on this one. But Brian, I mean, does anyone in, in the Canterbury region have that sort of money, even just to just to no. en- enter the comp? And c- could you could you honestly say, let's just for an argument's sake, uh, ten thousand people turn up to watch a an A League team in Canterbury every week? No, and, and look, when the Phoenix come to town, they do get good numbers. Um, you know, sort of ten to fifteen um, every time they do, but sustaining it over the course of a whole campaign, uh, I'd be fairly sceptical about that happening. We we hear this from time to time. The NRL, you know, talk about expansion. There have been murmurings of a South Island team and so on. I, I just don't think we've got the market to sustain it. Auckland, uh, if you're going to go anywhere, um, I'm always a bit puzzled. You know, the All Whites play in Auckland or the Phoenix go up there and they don't actually get great numbers despite the big population base. And, and I've always scratched my head over that, and we, we hear the excuse, oh, there's traffic issues, well, oh, it was a well, Thursday night no, game, it was, you know. No, they, they have had good numbers for the Phoenix. They've had over 20,000 uh, their matches for at Eden Park, not in the last couple of years, but it's, you know, every it, all sports are suffering from a reduction in numbers because of COVID and these other problems. But um, even the idea of 10,000, I mean, there's going to be a lot of super rugby matches this year that don't attract 10,000 people. Yeah. Mm. Um, the idea yeah. that somehow it's a given that you'd get 10,000 for every home match. The Warriors don't, well, you'd know, Stephen, the Warriors don't get 10,000. They, they have a strong, they, they, have, of, they have a strong base, Tal, for about, about eight, eight to 10. Yeah, correct. And I just think, I think football needs to be very careful here because a, a second team, well, well, actually, it could destroy the Phoenix for a start because that's their big payday coming to Auckland. Let's be honest. Uh, for folks in Wellington, don't necessarily support uh, the Phoenix uh, outright every week and throw big numbers at it. So it feels like a money grab, and I'm, I'm inclined to agree with both of you that there is a long way to go. If it's going to be Australian run, well, that's that's another different story altogether. Uh, tell the, you, the, the other thing. The other thing here is, I think. Um, the A-League, uh, obviously, are aware of a lot of interest in Australian football for uh, more more teams. One yeah. from Canberra, I think, seems to be the most logical one. So clearly the A-League believe there is interest around in Australia that can come up with the $20 million. So therefore, that same kind of benchmark has to apply for any additional New Zealand team. But I just think it's totally unrealistic to expect a New Zealand organisation to come up with twenty million yep. bucks to play in a club competition yep. uh, in Australia. Well, well, when anyway, when, we'll when the, the team that you mentioned, Auckland City FC, whose chairman is Ivan Vuksic, and they're they're a smart organisation, says as soon as they heard that, 
we're out as an one uh, an, one single entity. So they've got a lot of work to do. Look, I, I'm I'm encouraged by one of the your favourite sports, Telf, and that's athletics. Zoe Hobbs goes under 11 seconds the other day, backs it up with 11:02 in Auckland uh, 48 hours ago, and then Jack O'Gill beats Walsh again. What's going on? But but for, but most importantly, how good that Jack is finding form. It is, yeah. It's been a long time coming. He was a uh, sensation when he was a junior. Um, and then he suffered injuries, um, and I think he was probably pushed. I mean, I see one of the things that you wanted to talk about, I think, was uh, Sir Graham Douglas um, pushing the idea of sending young, talented athletes to the Olympic Games as many as we can. Well, no, we shouldn't. In a sense, I think Jack Goat-Gill is an example of this. Uh, just because you're the best in New Zealand and you can meet a qualifying standard and you go off to the Olympic Games... Um, there's no guarantee you're going to be able to perform anywhere near your best because it's easy to be overawed. You've got a peak often three days out of five because you've got qualifying rounds, semifinals, and then a final. And it's easy to get eaten alive. And I've seen athletes and a few swimmers who go off to the Olympic Games and finish second or third to last in their heats and get on a plane home the next day, and it destroys them. So we've just got to be careful. I think Jack O'Gill went through that period. He had these enormous expectations placed on him when he was uh, young, performed well at the World Junior Championships and things like that. Uh, Walsh, uh, Tom Walsh took a different path. He's older, more experienced, and uh, didn't venture overseas quite as much until he was ready to. And now I think we're seeing that talent, that latent talent of uh, Jacko's, and it's fantastic. It's fantastic for, for Tom Walsh as well to have that sort of competition in his own backyard. He got yeah. beaten again last night by girl. So um, it's great. And... And, yeah, um, female sprinters, they are very rare in New Zealand um, to be able to run world-class times. And any sprinter, black or white, particularly white, without getting into uh, racial things here, um, it's very rare for uh, women to go on at 11 seconds, uh, unless you're you know, from the United States or some parts of Eastern Europe. So um, she looks like a, a top-class, world-class sprinter when I see her running. Um, the way she holds herself, her style... Her stride, everything about her uh, suggests to me that she would succeed, certainly at the Commonwealth Games. And I think she would go probably uh, through a couple of rounds at least at the Olympic Games or the World Championships, which she'll compete in later this year. Well said. Uh, lads, before I go, most importantly, uh, Sail GP this weekend in your neck of the woods. I, I assume both of you have got tickets to go and watch these flying boats on the water at Littleton? Um, I, look, I haven't. Uh, I would. I would love to. Um, there's, there's an awful lot on in Christchurch. Uh, I was hoping to ride in the race tomorrow, but I've been banned by my wife. Um, the uh, this is a sport that we we don't get to talk about very often ever. In fact, uh, marching. The national marching champs are on, and my wife leads a team, and I have to watch it tomorrow. So I can't go. And then I'm running city to surf on Sunday. So I'd love to go. To, I'd love to go to Sail GP. Uh, it's a great weekend sport in, in, in Canterbury. But, um, yeah, can't. And big Nor'westers as well. So um, she's going to be um, really wow. going off in the heart. Yeah. There's going to be plenty of wind. Well, and all potential carnage, Telf. Exactly, yeah. Well, I'll be interested to see how it goes. I think it'll succeed uh, for one reason, that the guy that's running it is Carl Budge, who you would know only mm-hmm. too well. Stephen did a fantastic job, didn't he, uh, running the two big tennis tournaments in Auckland for a number of years and his ability to drag in, you know, world-class players. And I think he's done something similar. He's got all of the, every one of the boats that um, are in this competition have come to Christchurch or to Little Yeah, that's right, nine, nine boats. The, the can't, it was despite the carnage that a lot of them suffered a few weeks ago in Sydney. 
So he knows how to pull big international sporting events together here at home in New Zealand. So I'll be very surprised if this isn't uh, a roaring success. And I, I wish them all well there, and particularly the uh, Kiwi boys. All right. Well, gentlemen, Brian Ashby, Brendan Telford, it is always a pleasure catching up. Uh, thanks so much for being the part of the panel. Cheers, lads. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. That was the panel proudly brought to you by Melray Electric, putting the spark into Canterbury Rugby.